Welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast for anyone who wants to raise other people's money for a business or property venture. Right now, there has never been more money on the planet and there has never been more opportunity. This podcast will help you put the two together. So, if you need money for your business or property proposals from banks, lenders, angels, whales or dragons, this is the podcast for you. Hi everyone, it's Ray McLennan here and this is the How to Raise Money podcast. Now, this podcast is about um, problems and solutions. It's about uh, a conundrum and I'll tell you where it came from is I raise money for people and um, some of that money comes from angel investors, some of it comes from lenders, some of it is a combination of both. The challenge today uh, with solutions and problems is I have someone who has borrowed some money from angel investors and there's a, a deadline looming and they're not going to be able to pay it back by the deadline and there's there's an awful lot of um, panic about what's going to happen and what will happen when the the lenders are told now it's a common it's a common problem and uh, I have permission to share this particular um, particular problem, particular challenge, and the solution. Now, I'm not going to give any details of who it is, where it is, or amounts, or anything like that, but it's basically a a challenge that if you've borrowed any money from anyone at any time, you may one day face yourself. So so let's let's get into it. Now, I I sat down and thought about this particular conundrum, because there's a lot more to it. It's not just simply a matter of a deadline, you know, is coming up and they're not going to be able to make it. There's there's, um, other other bits of uh, information that's affecting the whole the whole play. But anyway, when I took a look at this and I thought, okay, yep, there's one or two challenges here. I think I might have the answer. And uh, whilst I was asked in the context of someone who'd set up the, uh, the, the loan in the first place, which was well, about 18 months ago now, um, I, was, I was asked in the context of, well, okay, I know you set it up, but um, what would you do if you were in my situation? What would you do if if you were faced with this. Now, that's sometimes a question that a lot of people ask, no matter what challenge you come up against, you look to someone who seems to be, you know, seems to have got it worked out, seems to have had had an answer to the solution before, and you say, well, what would you do? Well, without sounding like a lawyer, it, it depends. It depends on a number of things. It depends on how much you borrowed from who, what, what, was, what was in the agreement, what you stood by, and so on. Um, but the main thing comes down to uh, when you have an agreement, you need to do everything you can to make good on that agreement and to pay it back, to, 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 to come to the end of the agreement, to pay back the money that's due plus any interest um, to the angel investor. And then you can walk off into the sunset and they can walk off into the sunset. Now, as long as your heart is in the right place and that is what you want to happen, then everything will be okay. And it's really just a question of uh, communication. But I was asked for a bit more, you know, well, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a prolific borrower. Um, I'm going to be borrowing more money from people. Once this one's out of the way, I'm going to do this again. And I see this around me. It's a, it's a common challenge with a lot of people of deadlines that, that fail to get met for one reason or another. And if you're borrowing money for uh, a property project, that is certainly true. Certainly true. Now, I've just come out from meeting that that uh, person and I'm actually sat in my car. I'm sat in a car in a car park. So if you hear any uh, external noises, fire engines going past or anything like that, you'll you'll know what it is. And hopefully the sound quality here is not too bad. But anyway, um, 
I, I looked into some of my previous notes. I also called up um, a, a wise head, not a mentor. Now, I do have paid mentors, people that I pay money to, and I meet with them on a regular basis, and they provide mentorship. I have those. But I also have a number of other older, wiser angel investors um, who who I can turn to in in times of stress or whenever there's a, a conundrum and I can ask for their wise counsel. And I've just come off the phone from one of them and I was chatting through and I've scribbled a load of notes down here. So um, I hope you don't mind me reading from these notes and also uh, see if I can come to um, an answer for this, uh, I suppose, very common conundrum. And when I spoke to the um, angel investor and I told him what the problem was, he said, well, um, sometimes solving the wrong problem can only make things worse. And I said, well, what, you know, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, the truth is that most people solve the wrong problem. And um, the law of cause and effect is, is quite simple. For every effect, there's a root cause. But people rush into solving problems without first identifying the root cause of that problem. They solve the wrong problem by letting their emotions, assumptions, and natural bias lead them probably in the wrong direction. So the question, I suppose, is how many times have you solved the wrong problem only to discover the real problem afterwards? And it happens in all aspects of life. It's not just business. It's not just angel investing. It's not just lending. It happens in all aspects of business. So uh, I suppose in business, improvement shouldn't be a long, drawn-out process. If it's taking a lot of time, then you might be solving the wrong problems. And solving the wrong problems only makes things worse. And when emotions go up, intelligence goes down. Now, having left the uh, the developer there, uh, it was an emotional time, and the worst time to try and solve a problem is when emotions when emotions are high. Um, when we're emotional, we tend to see things as black and white. But life, however, as we all know, it's got many different grey areas. So, before you try and solve any problem, you need to ensure that you are calm and collected. If you're not, you have to allow yourself time to get calm and collected. Now, interestingly. That was one of the first things I said. I said, look, is this really, you know, when I was given the, the opportunity to comment on the challenge, I said, look, is this really the problem? Is it is it really the challenge? And they were quite emotional and, and sort of animated about it. And I, I did find myself, I don't like to say calm down, but I did find myself saying, well, perhaps you just need to, you know, take a few minutes. Let's grab a cup of tea. Let's just put it into some context. Let's get a bit of paper, draw a line down the middle and write pros and cons on either side. And effectively, what I was trying to do was to sort of take the sting out of things to reduce the emotion. Because remember, if you can't see the problem when you're stuck in the middle of it, you generally can't see the problem when you're stuck in the middle of it. And if you make too many assumptions, your chances of solving the wrong problem increase dramatically. So you need to find and you need to find the truth in uh, assumptions in order to solve the right problem. You need to find the root cause effectively, which is the true source of the problem. Now, the good news, I, I suppose, with um, problems is every problem has a solution. You, you, you know, you can't really have one without the other. Um, you know, problems, I suppose, are just unanswered questions. So with any problem you're facing, remember this. You might not know the answer yet, but you do know that there is an answer and you do know that you can find it. In fact, you have to know that you're going to be able to find it. So the first, I suppose, Thing really, the first step, the first um, thing you need to do is change the problem into a question. So the question might be, um, what, what can I do that will have the greatest impact? How can I deal with this problem so I never have to deal with it again? 
Um, what would a wise person do? What would an older person do? What would a younger person do? What can I learn from this? What is the root cause? What is there a pattern here? Is there a trend? Um, if somebody makes some comment, can you show me the proof? Um, what assumptions are you basing things on? What's the simplest, fastest, easiest way to solve this particular problem? You can, of course, um, do the opposite. Um, you've, many of you I know listen to Mark My Words. Um, Mark Homer is known as the, the contrarian because he tends to look at doing things in a completely different way. So a contrarian view is quite simple. It's just do the opposite. The opposite of a problem is a solution, and the opposite of not working is working. If your current solution is not working, do the exact opposite. Chances are that you know it might it might work. So a great question to consider is what if the opposite were true? Now examine the pattern by identifying if there's a pattern, you can find the root cause and much quicker. Now, when the problem is not a problem, then is the problem worse at certain times or with certain people? What is the pattern? Study the nature of the problem and the solution might just reveal itself. Because if the developer had a track record of failing to, to deliver, which this one didn't, by the way, there's other, other projects have gone swimmingly, but if there was a track record here where every single, um, every single challenge was that the money was failed to be returned on time or there was always always delays with planning or always delays with legals or always delays in all sorts of different areas, then that, that's a pattern. And the pattern might be that it's down to the individual rather than actual actual facts and actual challenge. But talking about facts, you know, um, there's opinions, there's facts, and there's, there's the, the truth. Um, and in order to solve the right problem, you must discover the truth. Without the truth, your actions were effectively based on assumptions, which can be, well, as you know, a recipe for disaster. Now, opinions are, uh, that's all they are. They're an opinion, they're a perception. They're not reality. People don't see the world the way it is. They see the way they are through the lens, if you like, of their own thoughts. They've got their own glasses on, which have their own uh, thoughts and their own values and their own vision in front of it. And that can cloud an opinion. People's uh, opinions are really formed by how they perceive things around them. So people might be sincere, but they can also be sincerely wrong. So um, you've got to watch out for that. Now, if you're running a business, if you're if you're the main man, the main woman, the main person, then you must be very cautious in believing opinions, and that includes your own. That includes your own. So, um, you know, there, there's many examples of that, but um, we've got to look at facts, not opinions. And as a manager, you need to avoid, or an owner, you need to avoid non-fact-based conversations. Facts are simple, numbers are simple, people are complicated. Choose your battles carefully. Manage facts, not opinions. And that's what hit me this afternoon when I was talking to the particular person. You know, do we have the facts here or is it just your opinion? So facts, not opinions. Facts are a very good starting place to make much better informed decisions. So, for example, um, no numbers. If you need to know numbers, no KPIs, verify your information. It's much easier to make decisions when you've got great information. The better the quality of your information, the better the quality of your decisions. So having strong um, systems and processes in place with your business makes it much easier and simpler because you can manage numbers and facts and not simple stories or opinions. So, um, I mean, if you take business, for example, you know, I worked with an awful lot of businesses raising money for startups and scale-ups, not just uh, property. And 
Um, every business wants more net profit. But what problem needs to be solved to grow the net profit? What is their USP? What is it their what problem are they solving? What are they fixing? What does their their service or product do that solves a particular problem? Do they need more sales? Do they need more prospects? Do they need to increase their sales conversion rate, for example? Do they need to increase the number of customers that come in the door? Do they need to increase the average customer spend? Are costs in the business too high? Is there, is there anything else? Is there, you know What is there? Each of these possibilities needs a different solution. And before solving a problem, it's critical that you make sure you're solving the right problem so you must know your numbers. Now, the other thing about facts is facts, and this is strange, a strange thing to say, but facts are not necessarily truth. So in solving any problem, you have to uncover the root cause. I'm going to give you an example of that, of the, the facts and, and root causes. It's a common belief that facts are truth, but they're not the same thing. They are connected, but they're not the same. Facts can lead to the truth, but they can also mislead. Facts are what happened, while the truth is how and why something happened. So if you take two people in a business, Jack, Jack and Jill, Jack and Jill, right? Here's a fact. Jack sold nothing in July. But here's the truth. Jack was on holiday for the entire month of July. Here's a fact. Jill was July's top salesperson. But the truth is, Jill was July's only salesperson. So that kind of illustrates the fact that uh, facts are not truth, they're just facts. And without context, they can be misleading. And facts, as we all know from the press and from news jacking stories that you see around, facts can be manipulated to prove anything. Context is key. When I'm doing um, my two-day Raising Angel Finance course, I talk about how you say things and the way, the intonation that you put on words. And I, I famously use uh, a sentence that says, um, that the sentence is, I didn't say she stole the money. But when you emphasize and you um, contextualize each particular word through an inference, you can make it mean something completely different. So remember the neutral phrase, which was, I didn't say she stole the money. What if you contextualize that in a completely different way and you emphasize one different word? So imagine, I put it this way, I didn't say she stole the money. 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 Now, what am I saying? What am I saying? So that's when you see context is the key. Remember, nothing has meaning other than the meaning you give it. And the more facts, opinions, and observations you gather, the clearer the picture you will see. So a fact is really like a bit of a jigsaw. It's, it's a jigsaw. Another fact, another piece of jigsaw. Another opinion, slightly another piece. What you want to do is start pulling them all together, stand back, and you will actually start to see a picture emerge. And and I'm not saying that gathering facts or opinions isn't, isn't important. Of course it is. But Think of facts and opinions as kind of a piece of the jigsaw or a clue, as pieces of the puzzle in your search for what is ultimately the truth. Because quite often as you go through life, you'll hear there's he said, she said, and then there's the bit in the middle. So there's three sides to every story. There's his side, there's her side, and then there's what actually happened in the middle. So you want to consider um, the source. How do they know what great success qualifies them to say what they've said? Consider the context. What don't I see? What assumptions am I making? Now, there's uh, 
There's a human condition um, where the mind seeks facts to prove that it's right and ignore facts that prove it is wrong. And it's called confirmation bias, and we all suffer from it. The mind, my mind, your mind, everybody's mind likes to distort, delete, and generalize situations. And it's been shown that memories, everyone's memories, are not even fixed. The mind distorts them. So it's very important to be careful in verifying facts, seeking truth, because even our own minds can actually deceive us. And the more studies that go into this, the more that can be proven. So as much as we love to be proven right, we hate to be proven wrong even more. It's human nature to believe facts that reinforce our own beliefs and to ridicule or attack facts that don't. Do you know anyone in the press currently who's doing this right now? We've got stuff happening in America. We've got Brexit. We've got a whole host of things happening. And you can see, you know, they present one set of facts gets presented and you wheel out three people and they've all got three completely different um, stories on what that means. Now, it's usually uh, going back to our conundrum that I was presented with uh, earlier. It's usually a lot easier for an outsider to spot a problem. As the old expression goes, it's kind of hard to see the picture when you're stuck in the frame. Making bad decisions is not the big problem. It's sticking with them. We naturally hate being wrong and will often throw good money after bad decisions rather than simply cutting our losses. And one of the best ways to avoid this is to use what's called zero-based thinking by adding, knowing what I know now, to the start of a question. So knowing what I know now, would I still choose that lawyer? Knowing what I know now, would I still choose that supplier? Knowing what I know now, would I still hire that person? Knowing what I know now, would I still? Now, if the answer is no, then ask yourself, how do I get out of this situation in the fastest, easiest way with the least possible damage? Now, if it's a crisis and owing, owing somebody some money and it's going to be delayed, is not a crisis. It's, I'll tell you what, I've spoken to, since to a couple of the investors involved, and I'll tell you what their response was in a minute. But from the, the, the borrower's point of view, this looked like a crisis. This looked like a crisis. So he actually said the words to me, it's, it's not as simple as that. This is a crisis. And again, I, I had to sort of take the emotion out and say, well, look, let's you know, get a cup of tea. Let's take five minutes to take a look at this. Let's draw the line down the middle and let's, no, 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 you don't understand. This is a crisis. I've got to pay these guys back. And I said, okay, well, I understand your, your passion, your drive, and your desire to make that happen. But the fact is, from where I'm seeing things, the property is not going to sell in enough time to be able to allow you to meet that obligation. So then he started going on about, you know, bridging and doing all sorts of things. And again, that wasn't an answer to the problem because bridging was just simply going to create more problems. So in any crisis, you're looking for a number of things. And the first one is time. Okay. First thing you're looking for is time. Now, time is great because it gives you a bit of breathing spray space. Um, if you're under pressure, your emotions are going to rise. And when emotions go up, remember I said earlier on, intelligence goes down. Now, you need to protect yourself from yourself by effectively buying as much time as you possibly can to enable you to make a cool, calculated, considered decision. Now, don't ever allow yourself to be rushed into snap decisions by anyone, even if they seem obvious. Anyone that's putting pressure on you. Give yourself at least 72 hours to think through any big decisions. And if it's a good idea today, it'll still be a good idea in 72 hours time. 
However, however, what seems like a good idea today will off can be revealed as a bad idea in a few days' time, uh, or or, or, or even a, a week or so later. And this extra, th- but this extra thinking time will help you to avoid um, causing any more problems, or or it'll avoid causing the situation to get a lot worse. Now, in any pressure situation, time is on your side. It's your friend. Emotions calm down. You ask yourself and, and, and others. For example, today, I was saying to these angel investors, well, what's the real deadline here? What, what is really going on? And often that can buy extra time. And that's different from avoiding the issue. It's merely giving yourself much more thinking space and thinking time as possible to make the best decision you can. Now, when, and I'll, I'll come to the, well, we think we have a solution. Not all of them. There's a number of lenders involved, and a lot of them are, um, you know, they're, they're practical guys. They, they know how the world works. They're not under any pressure, but there's a couple of them that are. A couple of them that are under pressure. So we've now taken a hu- effectively a huge problem and diminished it down a bit. It, it, it has shrunk down. So it's gone from being a sort of beach ball-sized problem to a ping-pong-sized problem. So, um, you know, not, not, not too bad. We can, we can now see something that's now manageable, much more manageable than it was. And the amounts of money we're talking about now have gone down from sort of six figures, um, you know, from a, from a couple of million pounds down to just about 200,000 pounds. They've gone down by 10 times almost um, just by taking a bit of time, by breathing, by taking the emotion out of things, and then by, by asking one or two of the right questions. Now, so again, if you're running a business and you're a leader in that business, you're a manager in that business, you need to see things as they are not worse than they are. Now, what this developer was doing was he was magnifying the challenges in his own mind. He was just magnifying the whole thing that this was a disaster of of epic proportions. It was a crisis. Remember, that was the words he used. This is a crisis. And it gone from being a disaster of epic proportions and gone from being a crisis to something that was manageable and was effectively just nothing more than a challenge, really. That was really all it was. Um, but in a crisis, a lot, of see, a lot of people do see things far worse than they really are because fear takes over and they start to act emotionally and not rationally, and you have to take things out of things. Now, so time is one thing you want. The second thing you want is options. You want a lot of options. You know, there's, there's, there's usually sort of overarching options that you can look at. You can leave things as they are, you can fix it, or you can walk away. Now, leaving things as they are in this case was, was not really the issue. Walking away was not really an issue either. It had to be fixed. So sometimes um, the right thing to do is just to, to let the dust settle and just let it be. Sometimes the right thing to do is to, to take kind of quick action. Or sometimes the right thing to do is just walk away entirely, depending on what the challenge is. Now, in this case, walking away was not an option. Uh, Leaving things as they were was not an option. Fixing it was what had to be done. So we set uh, aside a bit of time to think about the problem. Like I say, we grabbed a pen and paper, I drew a line down the middle, we had a quiet space, and I said, the very first thing I said was, well, what would a wise person do? And then I thought, oh, I know someone who's very wise. Give them a ring. So whilst I wrote down some some potential solutions, I also called up a wise person and asked them, outlined what the challenge was, and effectively, uh, like I say, they were standing away from the from the problem, and they came up with a wise solution. So if you're going to take action to resolve a problem, make a list of, uh, like I say, draw a line in the middle and make a list of at least 
10 things you could do. Demand of yourself at least 10 answers. And the more options you have, the better quality of decision you will make at the end of the day. Now, when you have a list of options, pick the one thing that would have the greatest positive impact and create a simple checklist then to make that happen. Now, I saw uh, another conundrum that came up, um, which was to do with um, money that had been raised. And it was a business that had effectively, uh, it wasn't going to recover all the money. So picture the scene. There were two investors. They'd each put up £100,000 each, and they were due to get uh, their money back plus interest. Now, at the end of the day, when the property was sold and when all things were kind of tidied up, there was an, uh, a lot of money was lost at this, and there was um, only £100,000 left. That was all that was left in that particular bit. Now, I uh, was asked what should be done, and I made my suggestion. And let me, if you're driving listening to this, or you're listening to this in your headphones, or whatever you are listening to this, what would you do? If you had two investors that had each put up 100,000 and all you had was 100,000 left, what would you do? The default position most people would say would be to give 50 to each, give one half and another half. But I spoke to um, a very high net worth individual, a very wise person, and he said, well, I don't know about that. You know, He said, I might give one £100,000, the first one that was in, and the second one, I'd just tell them they've lost all their money. And I thought, that doesn't seem right. So I said, well, wh- what's, your, what's your thinking on that? What, 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 made you, what made you think that? He said, well, put it this way. If you give them 50 each, you're gonna, both of them are going to be annoyed. Whereas if you pay one, he's going to be delighted. The other one's going to be annoyed anyway. So you may as well end up with one person delighted and one annoyed as opposed to both annoyed. And I thought, I'm not sure I would have the hojones to take that decision and give it to someone. <laughs> I, might, I might do it myself. But it's not something I would I would advocate because I think the general feeling amongst everyone would be well you pro rata you split it you, you know you split it up. But anyway, that, I thought that was quite an interesting solution. So we're almost at the end now. Uh, thank you for staying with me. But but let's talk about the crisis uh, that I was mentioned to me earlier on. The word crisis was being used, and being in a crisis is like being in a hole. And when you're in a hole, you stop digging. You stop digging. If you're bleeding, you need to stop bleeding before you can fix any situation. You need to stop it effectively from getting any worse. Now, if it's a crisis, during a crisis, you first gain momentum by buying time and stopping the bleeding, and then you gain huge momentum by establishing the real problem, the root cause, and thinking it through with a cool head. You gain more momentum by correctly establishing the new one thing that will have the greatest positive impact, and then you put all your energy into into achieving that, into solving it, solving the right problem. Now, the more momentum you can build, the faster you can exit the crisis. So one final point, if you're a leader of a business, leaders make decisions with a cool head. Things are often not what they seem. So spend as long as you need to satisfy yourself that you've correctly identified the root cause, the root cause that you're solving the right problem, because solving the wrong problem only makes things worse. And that's the last thing you need crisis. So what happened with our guy? When he was not going to meet the deadline, most of the investors said, look, it doesn't matter. It's not a problem. Don't worry about it. One of the others said, no, I've got to have some money back. I've got another thing I need to do. I need to get that money back. It has to come in by the deadline. And guess what happened? One of the other investors bought out the debt. So one of the other investors said, well, okay, you need your money back. 
okay, the penalty interest that we're going to get on this is, um, I think it was 2% per month. We're going to get penalty interest of 2% a month. I'll give you your money now and I will get it back through the penalty interest. I'm going to get 2% per month on this. So I'm going to get 2% if it lasts a month. I'm going to get 2% more, 4% if it lasts two months, 6% if it lasts three months. And this was looking like a three-month problem. So our man was happy to do that. So there you go. There is always a solution to any particular problem. I have been Ray McLennan. This has been the How to Raise Money podcast on problems and solutions. I hope you enjoyed it and see you on the next podcast. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the How to Raise Money podcast. It's made for people who want to raise money as debt or investment equity for their business or property proposal or empire. The website has all the useful links and underlying research, and you can get downloads of the checklists and other useful information. You can find all that at howtoraisemoney.co.uk. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Ray underscore McLennan and Nigel Best at Positive Nigel. You can check the blog at raisingangelfinance.blogspot.co.uk. See you next time, where we can show you how to raise money. There is abundance. There is money enough for everyone on the planet. The question is, who has yours?